Blog Talk Radio. David Ali is going to redeem himself, but also we're going to talk to Jeff G. Bailey, Hall of Fame entrant into this year at Anarchy Wrestling. I'm Stephen Platinum, and joining me, as always, is the venerable man about town, Larry Goodman. Larry, how are you doing tonight for this, what promises to be a very exciting and interesting show? Yeah, I'm excited because, um, you know, getting a chance to hear Mr. Bailey uh, after his Hall of Fame induction. I mean, he had plenty to say in that induction, but I know he didn't get all everything in that he wanted to say. So hopefully well, we'll get not more possible. of that tonight. It would not have been possible for him to get everything that he wanted in. And, uh, you know, Jeff is going to be on later on. And, I mean, I'm excited about uh, David Ali calling in. He wanted to redeem himself after his – um, state of wrestling speech did not go very well by his estimation. So I was, I was very happy that he's going to come on and speak with us and uh, show us what he's got. Cause I'm, I'm really interested. You know, a lot of people say really great things about him and I want him to uh, have a chance to show what people find so special in him. Yeah. I, I mean, I was really looking forward to him and I was excited when he threw his hat in the ring and wanted to be part of the um, wrestling speech show. And then to come in, you know, like nine out of ten, and you got get that shitty, you know, review from you, you know, really. <laughs> oh, tremendous! Look at so, Larry. I, 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 so hopefully, hopefully, we won't be playing that tonight for him, you know. But um. <laughs> what a wonderful surprise that was! And and speaking of wonderful surprises at Hardcore Hell at the Hall of Fame induction, um, Bill Barron's. Um, got inducted by surprise by none other than AJ Styles. Larry, what was the reaction in the building when that happened? I can't imagine. Oh, well, you <laughs> you can imagine the pop when AJ, uh, you know, they did the lights out, and then, you know, out he comes, and, uh, yeah, it was pretty insane. Um, and I thought for sure that once he walked out, Bill Barons would know what was up. But he didn't until a couple sentences into AJ's speech, because I happened to be sitting next to him on the stage. And then a couple sentences into the speech, he said, oh, shit. Well, uh, you know, uh, when Alan came out, I was uh, I was I was very surprised, of course, and I uh... <laughs> so, um, you know we're gonna bring David Ali out in just a moment. But um, I, I wanted to say before, you know, to introduce Jeff. 
uh, I've been sort of promising that I was going to do the um, the introductory speech that I was going to do for Jeff if I could have attended. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do that tonight to introduce Jeff. I'm also going to record it and put the video up of me doing it. So hopefully I can get all that done. Um, so many technology pieces to this thing. I don't know how you do it, Larry. <laughs> well, I don't. I mean, I do – I do very I do very little here, you know. We're lucky to get through these shows at all with my technical lack of tech, technical expertise, but I'm sure that'll make Jeff happy because he did mention it during his in, induction speech that you had prepared something and you know, of course you weren't there to give it, but uh he'll get it tonight. Yeah, he will. And uh is there anything you wanted to talk before uh, David Ali comes on, Larry? Well, just a, a couple of tidbits. One, of course, that um uh, Combat Entertainment did wind up canceling their last show, and I think there's folks who think I enjoy reporting negative things about Combat, but I actually don't. I've actually been rooting for them all along. We'll continue to root for them, but um, I suspect, I don't know this for a fact because I did not get any m- more information, but I suspect they had trouble getting together enough of a roster to put on a show. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll I would imagine. We'll see where they go. It's a it's a it's a tough road to hoe. When, when are, what what days of the week are they now running shows? It's a still a Sunday thing, right? Exclusively Sundays, yes. And it, and it was was it the show to be this Sunday? Uh, it would have been last Sunday. Oh, last it Sunday. Okay. It would have been the fourteenth. And they, yeah, they canceled I mean, what about but, four days out, five days out, something like that. Well, you know, I mean, winning solves all problems, as the saying goes in the sports world. And right now, combat, they're not, even fans of theirs would have to admit that they're not winning right now. Um, The crowds are down. Um, They've had to move venues multiple times. They've gone through a complete brand transformation and now appear to have taken in yet another direction. So hopefully they can get it back together, uh, get their bearings straight and plow ahead. So the other other thing is that, um, you know, this weekend, again, big attendance numbers around the horn, 275 at Georgia Premier, 300 at Anarchy, 250 at Viral, who did send in a nice report on their show. I saw that on the the website. I did my lazy ass did read it. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, that that read like a really well-booked show to me. It made made me want to go check out one of their shows because they they do have an interesting blend of talent there, and it seems like they're doing more with their booking direction. So kudos to those guys. Uh, We do have the leader of the new era is on the line with us. Welcome back to the Tipping Point, David Ali. Thank you for having me back. Although I don't, I don't know if I should be back because I don't know. I'm not sure how this is going to go between the the three of us. Is it, is it three of us? Am I? Is that yes. my understanding? It's okay. I'm, def- so go, I'm go definitely ahead and tell me who's here, on the, David. Who's on the line right now? Oh, we, we got Larry Goodman, of course, and then I am Stephen Platinum, and you are David Ali. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Because the fact of the matter is, I, I've got something that I need to say to the both of you, and I hope young people are listening, but I know they're probably not going to be listening because your your main fan base are, are older guys, guys who are like in your age range, guys who are from your era, guys who are, who are used to a certain type of wrestling. But they need to hear this, and they need to hear this loud and clear so that way they can feel better about progressing forward in their careers, Okay. Nothing the two of you say matters. And I know, 
I know that's like the atypical thing to say for somebody who, who's like me talking to somebody who's like you to a bunch of guys who are like you, but nothing you all say matters. Because at the end of the day, you praising me or you saying that I'm bad or that I, I sat the bed doesn't affect my career, and it won't affect my career. It will never affect my career or anybody else's career who you comment on. You guys are glorified marks who somehow had enough money to get their own radio show. So that way they could talk about how they feel about wrestling and what they think about wrestling. And somehow over time, somehow over time, it's just turned in and worked into what Larry Goodman says and what Steve Platman says is God's honest truth. And it ain't. And it never will be. It can't. Like, who are you guys to begin with? I, I know Larry Goodman is a guy that goes to a bunch of these the same shows and praise the same guys over and over and over again, which allow other, other promotions to book the same guys over and over again because they care about what you think. I know Steve Platinum is well, – let me get this straight. I, I did this thing called homework. Um, you, you own <laughs> Platinum Championship Wrestling. Oh, it's okay. Oh, Platinum Championship Wrestling. Okay. So, so – when I called here and I gave my little speech that Aja pretty much gave perfectly in my place, might I add, when I, when I called up here and I did that and you told me I shot the bed, you really know what that means because you own Platinum Championship Wrestling and that ultimately shot the bed because it no longer exists anymore, right? Am I right? Is that all oh, that's, that's that, definitely that true? It does not exist anymore. Okay, okay. So basically, and I may sound like I'm rambling here, but Correct me if I'm wrong. This might be a clear thought. I know you're not used to this from me, Steve Platinum, because apparently That's you true. don't know anything about me. You've never seen anything of mine as far as the matches and or promos are concerned because my one train thought, my one train thought is a constant thing. It's a constant. It's always a constant. It never stops, okay? So my one train thought for today is not to listen to what you grown-ass marks say. It's to go ahead and carry on in the career, be who they want to be, experiment, because right now is the time for you to do that. Right now is the time for you to do that, because even though, even though wrestling is at a great state right now as far as popularity is concerned, it isn't as far as trying to get over in some respects are concerned. And there's no thanks to people like you. So if anybody out there is listening who is in my caliber of wrestling or higher or lower, okay, understand to keep experimenting, keep pushing, regardless of what these two jamooks have to say about what you do. Now you guys can talk. You can have your show back. Tremendous. I love jamooks. Um, first of all, yes. I've never been called a Jamook, um, so that's pretty <laughs> tremendous. Um, I, I uh, all I can say is, um, when it comes to experimenting, um, I do. I, I did watch some of your stuff. I watched the. Uh, I watched a promo um, wherein you were working out and sort of talking about your level that of determination. Count. I just did that the other day. Congratulations! You you updated your Facebook for half an hour. What else you got? And 
what I, what I was going to say was uh, it was really impressive, actually. I liked it quite a bit. Um, oh. uh, I get I get that you're coming at, at Larry and I. Um, uh, the did you go? You were trained at WWA four, was that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, who I am is the guy that uh, ran that school years before you got there. Um, the Thursday shows that you wrestled on oh. um, are a thing yeah. that I established. <laughs> oh, um, oh, oh. So wait, let me so let me get this straight. So you you yeah. had something that nobody cared about. Then I came around. Then people cared about it. Okay, keep going. Keep going. It's true. Keep going. Um, keep going. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, you're a great young talent. I'm glad you came back and redeemed yourself. Um, I know you got to come at me and Larry. I, I totally understand that, and I get where you're coming from. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, everybody's listening to you tonight. If they're tuning in for you, it's because – they're interested to see if you're going to shit the bed again. Um, I would say that you did not. That's my opinion. Um, Larry may have a different one, and that's phenomenal. But uh, if you can maintain your momentum, let's say 15 years from now, then we can talk again about who's on whose level. Larry, any thoughts? I can guarantee you one thing, Steve, okay? 15 years from now? I'm not going to be hosting some radio station hoping somebody calls in to help me get over myself, okay? I'm going to be the guy that you're going to be wishing you could get on your radio station to call in to redeem himself, quote-unquote, like I needed to redeem myself. I, this was not about redeeming myself. I don't care about your scorecards and what Larry's going to say about me next. This isn't about that. You didn't listen to anything I said. Because for some reason you think this is probably like a gimmick promo or something, but it's completely shoot, okay? What you guys say does not matter, okay? What happens today is going to be on me. What happens tomorrow is going to be on me. What happens on this radio show is not going to affect any of that, okay? When they're talking about my career achievements 15 years from now, they're not going to be like, well, hey, you know what? <laughs> if you didn't redeem yourself from that Larry Goodman show and that Steve Platinum show, we wouldn't know where you'd be at today. They're not going to say that. They're going to say what? They're going to say who? They're going to say where? Because you guys will not matter 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. You're, you're, all, just, you're all just probably – what I can probably consider you the most is just a stage. That's it. What you say on your stage doesn't matter. The fact that you have a stage matters. But what you say doesn't matter. But the fact that you have one matters. I, I said that about three times. So do you understand where I'm coming from correctly? This is a stage, yes. But what you say doesn't matter. There's going to be I think I got that. Stages. Okay, yeah. you, you did. Okay, I didn't know about. I think I got that. I, I do. Email it to you. Okay, I'm. I, and, I'm, I'm. Yeah, go, Larry. No, I mean it may not matter, but in, but I do I do like the idea that you're getting out traveling, going to places like Spinebuster in South Georgia, and getting over to Memphis this Saturday. That that impresses oh. me. But I know, like what I say doesn't matter. But I will say it anyway. I'm sorry. No, that's 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 well, all I wanted to. That's that's what I wanted to say. I'm glad you're getting over to Memphis and getting out and getting to work in different places. And this is the David Lee Ali uh, I kind of expected after seeing you 
um, at Southern Honor, this is the guy I thought that would was going to be calling in on the speech show. So yeah, see, that, that's I guess, what happens when I decide I'm going to be a nice person. People like to take jazz and they like to see that there's a weakness and then try to exploit that weakness. I learned my lesson. I learned I learned my lesson for sure, especially if I'm going to be remaining in Georgia for who knows how long. Well, David, thanks for coming on. Um, we gotta, we're gonna have to get to Jeff G. Bailey, but um, yeah, good looking out, and I'm sure you and I will see each other or hear from each other down the road for sure. Let's hope not. All right. He's gone. Wow. Wow. That was something else. Um, I'm I'm glad my uh, my opinion doesn't matter so much that it didn't get to him. It's good that that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Larry, um, instead of doing a post mortem on that, if uh, if Jeff is ready to go, I'm kind of down to get into that. I'm just dying to hear his stories and what he's got to say. I'm pretty sure he was listening to probably David Ali and probably has an opinion about that as well. Well, so, he was in the Jeff, green room at least for the second half of it, I believe. So yes, he's there. Okay. All right. So may I start my intro? Please. All right. All right. There are uh, there are four men being honored tonight, and they all deserve the honor. But if we're being honest with ourselves, there is one of their induction speeches that we're looking forward to hearing the most, and that is the speech of my friend, Jeff G. Bailey. The reason you want to hear his speech is because it will be like the man himself, a combination of harsh truth, greatness, and the other things that make him a legend. Jeff has the courage to say that he hates things. And if he hates something, it's, it is deserving of his hatred. He hates OSWA. <laughs> they run shows a stone's throw away that have competed with shows in this building, tried to undercut them financially, and were started with the express purpose of trying to ruin the shows in the building. They feature managers who were mere announcers or who were toothless fans in this very building who embarrass us all by playing pro wrestling manager. We have all turned a blind eye and have grown accustomed to this. Others have forgiven this. Others have secretly and not so secretly helped that group along the way, but Jeff never forgot. And one of the things I love about him being inducted into this Hall of Fame that he richly deserves is that he now forever occupies our collective mind space, and he is now synonymous with the rich history of wrestling groups that have run in this place, the building itself, and the Georgia wrestling scene in general. He is eternal. He will forever be the malicious Jiminy Cricket on all of our shoulders if we dare to listen, and we are the better for it. Jeff is a legend. There are a couple of traits that he doesn't share with most legends, however. We never had to watch Jeff decline at the end of his career or pretend that weak tail end ever happened. Jeff started off as all legends do, struggling to earn his place, enduring and suffering the bad times, fighting the good fight, making mistakes, but being all the better for it later on. Muhammad Ali was a tragedy to behold in his last fights in the ring. Michael Jordan had a run with the Wizards that we all pretend never happened. The great Magic Johnson was every bit as bad a coach and president as he was great a player. 
Even Ric Flair, who Jeff and I both love, has had moments that you wish never happened. But Jeff has remained great. Jeff has been every bit of legend in the last 20-plus years. The last significant thing he did in wrestling was to be in charge of Gunnar Miller. And Jeff showed he is the last true manager. He fought for Gunnar Miller's money. He fought for the spots and moments that Gunnar Miller was promised. He fought against groups that would use Gunnar Miller for their own benefit and give nothing in return. We will never see his like again, and that too is legendary. The truth is, in the ring and behind the scenes, Jeff was always the most interesting. All those legendary war games promos in the ring, all those hours of showtime, all those hours and hundreds of television shows, And behind the scenes, he's trying to stab Rick Michaels with a pen. He's reducing Nemesis to ashes with his firebrand words. Anybody who had worked with him has a Jeff G. Bailey story of that time he yelled at them. Another thing they all share in common is whatever he yelled at them for, he was right and they were better for it. The main legendary trait about Jeff is how the truth comes from him. We can see it. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we all know this. The nicer somebody's public persona is in wrestling, the more self-centered they really are. The more somebody publicly advocates for brotherhood and everybody working together, the more secretly insecure they really are. The more somebody constantly brags about being the best, the more that we know they really aren't. If Jeff calls you family, he means it. If Jeff is giving you a speech about how you need to have the most kick-ass show of all time, it's because he wants you to rise to his level so you can experience greatness for yourself as he always has with himself. He, and he was and is the best for so long that we have come to take it for granted. But for this night alone, he gets to have his moment. And it is a moment we are all dying to hear. So without any further ado, I give you the truth, the greatness, the legend, Jeff G. Bailey. Yeah. So that's my speech. Is Jeff on the line? He is. Am I? You are. Yes. What's going on, man? Ah, I am here then. Good deal. That was awesome. I am Godhead. You were correct. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Did did you did you did you hear the David oh, Ali speech? Uh, <laughs> the angry did you hear that? Man. Yes. Yes, I, I heard a very angry young man who was very angry about the fact that y'all do not matter. Uh, here's here's a weird question, Jeff. Before we get into all of the great stories and all the great moments. Um, Part of me when I was listening to David was, of course, annoyed, and of course I wanted to, like, snap back. But then I thought to myself, isn't it also good, just playing devil's advocate, isn't it also good that the young guys have that in them? Did you always have that thing that said, fuck it, I'm – I know I'm great, and I, I'm just – I'm not going to take I, – I, you know, maybe you showed respect to older guys, but there was a part of you that's like, fuck that. I, if I ever get my shot, if I ever get my moment, I know I can do better than these guys. Did you have that in you from the jump, if you can remember? Absolutely. I mean, 
I just wanted a chance to do it, and I knew I could talk. And anywhere I went, I was the best talker, and pretty much everybody realized it within, you know, a couple minutes. So I really never had a problem being positioned or anything like that or or had to, you know, worry about moving people out of the way or anything like that. People were, you know, clamoring to have me manage them once they heard me talk because I talked better than they did. I mean, when I started, I mean, I was, of course, just lucky to get in because I had tried very hard for years prior to get in. And, you know, wrestling wasn't like we just let every retarded child come play quarterback on the field and everybody moves out the way so we can score. It was actually, you know, difficult to be a part of. And, uh, you know, you had to prove yourself, and uh, I did. What was the first moment where you felt like you really broke through and impressed who you needed to impress in order to get a spot or even get get allowed to be on a show? Well, the very first show I ever did had Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Greg Valentine in the main event, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan told me I was great. So I guess the first show I did. Wow. And then he asked if he could have a doobie. (laughs) <laughs> so maybe he was just me over because he wanted to do me but he did take me over, so. and then he and then he had the promoter jacked up over his Cadillac in the parking lot for being short on his money and I was like this is great I'm going to love this Larry do you remember the first time that you saw Jeff I do. It was the first time I went to uh, Wildside, September 1999. And I um, wanted to meet him. I don't remember if I met you first that, that night or if it was the next show. Because I was, I, I never heard anybody. I think I met you that first night. Because I remember yeah, I remember reading your report and stuff and going, Oh, he said something good about me, unlike, you know, so many of the other poor unfortunate souls. I I just remember I never heard anybody like you. Um <laughs> that's I mean in in a, in a, in a, obviously in a very positive way. I mean you were you were you were doing this doing things I hadn't heard ever done before. So edgy. Um Yeah, that's that's what I remember. Did that, was I with uh, Crush? Yes, you were with Crush. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was some good stuff. That yes, was it was. Some firebrand stuff that, uh, you know, you could clean that up right now and go, holy cow, he could have cut that promo yesterday. Well, you know, that's what I was thinking when I was seeing something, when the, during your induction and Barron's played the video with, with various of your old promos. And I'm sitting thinking, wow. And I and I looked at some too in, in preparing for Berg's induction. Some of the ones I thought, my God, this stuff's great. He couldn't do it now. It was. It's just no. You know, it's still politically incorrect. But God, this was great stuff. I agree. <laughs> I, you know, one of the things I thought was amazing about Jeff was when he did PCW. Um, 
you know, he, he always walked the line. And, I'm, I mean, of course, the, the Klebold promo um, to set up war games where you're going to go against Miss, Miss Rachel um, comes to mind, where it, it walked that line of, God, is this too much in this day and age? But, it, but it, when you think about it, it was a little ahead of the game because before incels were a thing, like Jeff was already commenting on it. I think that was one of the keys was, it was always being cutting edge. We're, I mean, isn't it true that the great managers of pro wrestling have always been on the cutting edge? You know, whether it was Paul Heyman dropping very topical references, you know, even Jim Cornette sort of finding the, like, prototypical perfect sort of 80s heel, which is, you know, the sort of like the age of excess and that kind of thing. I, I mean, I think in some ways, Jeff really falls into the sort of classic manager model of, I have to be the most trendy, I have to be the most interesting. I think that's why I kind of emphasize that in my introduction, that at the end of the day, Jeff's success sort of stems on the fact that he was just the most interesting to listen to, not just the best orator in general, talked about things that demanded your attention because they were stuff that you were like aware of, but he knew something that you didn't know. I've always think that's the hidden secret of Jeff's promos is he always acts like he's privy to knowledge that you're not aware of. And you're fortunate to hear him talk about it, whether it's the African-American Superman, whether it's sort of promoting Gunnar Miller, it's always, I know this thing and you need to hear it. Now, the fact that he's being an asshole about it makes him a heel, but the fact that he's being, there's an element of the real about that, that he does know something that you don't know, that makes it engaging instead of off-putting, I guess. Yeah, I mean, who, thank you. Who, who who would have dared to talk about the Wayne William, Wayne Williams and the Chi- Atlanta child murders? And if I remember correctly, you actually went to you went you went to a bridge and filmed a promo, which of course that yes, was, we know, went to the uh, bridge that uh, Wayne got caught on for throwing Nathaniel Cater over the bridge, and uh, we, well, we did the go. promo there with the cars going by. I mean, all that stuff. I mean, basically. I had some ideas of things that I wanted to do when I got in wrestling as a manager. The first thing is I wanted to do the civil rights attorney thing for the African-American wrestlers and talk about the superior African-American athlete and, and how he's held back and wrestling. It would get heat, and it's true. And I had Crush, who was the first you know superstar wrestler I ever identified. We had worked together in South Carolina before I got to managing in Georgia, and I was like, this guy is a star. I mean, obviously. And the booker knew that, so he was his baby-faced tag team partner. So I did not get to manage him there. But uh, when I got to manage him here, Steve had this plan that we were going to do this thing with Ruckus and Crush about gangs and colors and all this stuff. And basically, I just did the promo about the superior African-American athlete being held back. And then I called Steve and Bill racist and cross-lighting, burning closet clansmen and, you know, put all the heat on them as the racist promoter holding him back. And, I mean, once we got there, we were running. And, again, I mean, is that not before it's time, this notion of, I mean, Jeff G. Bailey at that point is actually sort of the original social justice warrior gone awry. 
in a, you know, uh, like I've never thought about that before this very moment, but that's kind of what it is. It's like everything you would hate about a social justice warrior, but very aggressive, very in your face about it. And again, very much ahead of its time, you know, to do that as a heel. I mean, I, that was, you know, on my list of things to do that I had a plan to create a character that was going to be a true crime character and, and the purpose of that was because I was a guy who would stab people, like Abdullah the Butcher or the original Sheik, who were two of my favorite wrestlers. And, and honestly, I didn't see Iceberg in that role at first. And then uh, eventually we got together on it and talked about some things and uh, decided to go forward like that and uh, put the implement of destruction in his hand. And uh, he went to stabbing people up for quite some time. Uh, Jeff, that reminds me of something you said in your in your speech was that it wasn't the role that you saw Iceberg in. What role did you see him in? Um, well, I didn't see him in any role. I mean, he had been in like once before, and then uh, he came in. They got him as a replacement for Steve Carino, who was supposed to come in and defend the NWA world title. Yeah. So we put Iceberg in the spot. We introduced Iceberg. And I went out there and, you know, made him a no-pain train and all that and beat him with that pan until his head started bleeding and stuff like that. I mean, I was beating the hell out of him with it, you know, and uh, he got big-time color and stuff and, and then had the match. And I wasn't even at ringside for the match. I think I sent Big Biz out the ringside with him. And uh, after the match, uh, we just kind of started talking a little bit and figured out, you know, we had some shared interest and uh, I think, you know, he, is actually interested in horror and true crime and murder and stuff like that. So uh, he, he, you know, was on board to want to do it. And, uh, you know, I was like, Iceberg is such a nice guy. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. You you can't tell when you go back and watch those promos when he's making the iceberg faces and doing the tremble and all that stuff. He's scary as shit. I mean, he looks like he'd kill you. But, I mean, he's such a nice guy. And I was like, Berg, you got to be a killer. You got to be a killer. And so, I mean, I'd be screaming at him, kill you know, and, and he'd get like all crazy and frenzied and fired up and just start beating the hell out of people, and it was so much fun. I mean, it really was, you know, um, something we created and uh, made great. You know, there's I, been a I'm, number of, there's been a number of guys who you were in charge of, who you gave guidance to who made it to the big time, right? Guys like Crush, um, you know, the original Gunner, um, you know, Gunner Miller hopefully is on his way. Uh, any number of guys that you've worked with who've become stars, AJ Styles, things like that. And, and I mean, if you don't want to name names, that's totally cool. But uh, obviously that means you probably manage guys who didn't quite fulfill their potential as far as what level of star they could have been. Right. Um, when that happens, do you take that personally? I know that's a really difficult question. Um, do you take it personally? Do you just feel for the guy? Or, like, what's what's your feeling on that, if you think back on guys that didn't quite get to where they could have, you know? I mean, I don't take it personally because it's their life. And, I mean, you know, yeah. if, if they didn't the, – the person I'm going to use for the example is, is Jason Cross because Jason mm. – 
had all the ability that AJ had. I mean, he was role model too. He was the AJ doppelganger. They did the mirror spots. Whatever AJ could do, Jason could do in the ring. And I mean, Jason, you know, he did some TNA stuff and he got out and stuff, but he's a guy that had the ability to be, you know, a big star. And, you know, I guess things in his real life derailed stuff along the way. But, uh, you know, Jason's a great guy and he's He's got a happy family now, and he's doing good, and, you know, I'm sure he's happy, and I'm happy for him, but, I mean, he's a guy that certainly had the talent and ability to be, you know, on the big stage. Yes. I mean, I'm sure there's there's, there's other guys, but, but Jason is a guy that, you know, I mean, he was, uh, he was really good. Yeah, I mean, all these years later, those matches still stand out as – some of the best ever in that building. The Jason Cross, AJ Styles matches were just incredible. Um, that was that was that was quite the thing. Um, you know, Jeff, I was curious. You know, you you grew up with um, James Mitchell. How much do you think that influenced you, or and you influenced him that you guys grew up together, in, in what you wound up doing and in your styles of promos and so forth? Um. Well, let's see. I mean. What's 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 your question again? Well, the influence I, that you and Mitchell had on each other, um, kind of, you know, growing up together and that kind of thing. Um, well, I mean, as children, I turned him on to wrestling, so obviously that's a influence because he wasn't watching wrestling before we were friends, and then as adults, we were roommates and stuff when he first got in, and I mean, we obviously share a lot of the same influence that we grew up with, whether it's comic books and movies and books and, and all the things that we would pull from. But, I mean, you know, Jimmy's got his own devil stick and stuff, which, you know, I'm not trying to be the devil, and he wasn't trying to be an attorney. But, I mean, I think we're both, you know, serious talkers. You know, it's not ha-ha. Yeah. You know, there's some gravitas and seriousness behind it you know you, you, I always wanted to be like menacing and threatening and you know where people were like man that 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 guy radiates evil I mean I wanted to be like you know super villain you know where it was just so far that people are like man that's that's insane that guy's a psychopath you know I used to love to talk about you know iceberg bathing in blood and you know just anything about blood i could fit in there and stuff so, <laughs> always a thrill i think my great love for wrestling is violence and blood that's what i got into pro wrestling for so it's what I like about pro wrestling is the violence of it. I don't give a shit about exchanging holds. I think, I think a big difference too between you and Mitchell um, is when you both had to work babyface. is Mitchell completely changed what he was about and actually did comedy stuff. That was his way of being a baby face. I remember when he was like, Mikey Whipwreck and Tajiri's manager and stuff like that. His thing was to do comedy stuff with them in promos. And when you were a baby face, you were actually a bigger force of menace, <laughs> which I thought was a great way to take it. It was just a very, I mean, it wasn't a complete 180 on the character at all. It was, 
you know, I'm defending anarchy, and if people don't want to come with me, fuck you. I'm Jeffrey Bailey. Uh, I'm go- I'm coming straight ahead. And um, I, I thought it was a very effective way to go as a babyface. It felt very real, and I think it's why it won over the crowd who had been so used to hating you for so long. I think they really did come to this natural progression of, yeah, Jeff's, Jeff's uh, a monster, but he's our monster. And um, I thought that it was very effective as sort of a babyface take on, the, on what seems to be uh, a character that – is unable to be a baby face. I mean, on the face of it, what about Jeff G. Bailey uh, feels like it could ever be baby face, but you managed to make that work. I thought that was an incredible accomplishment kind of at the end of the active part of your career. Well, I think, you know, taking the pile driver out there and coming out, talking about, you know, being half paralyzed. And, and I heard some people clapping as they carried me away. And I thought I would never hear that. I was doing the shaky voice. And, you know, I just really, you know, committed to, oh, my God, you know, these, these guys tried to kill me. They're trying to kill the promotion of this building. Nobody seems to see the threat but me. And, you know, if nobody's going to fight it, I'll fight it by myself, which are all, you know, extreme babyface traits. And I just mm-hmm. made the, the run-in with the bat to make the save, swinging the bat around like Ole Anderson. And, you know, just, <laughs> just clowning it up a little bit. And, you know, people just kind of took to it because you're an asshole, and they wanted to see me hit you with that bat. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's a guy that you wish you could have managed that you didn't get to or wish you could have managed more that you only had a limited run with? Jeter is who I wish I'd managed longer. Hmm. Um, I love Jeter. I mean, he's the the first time I saw him, I was like, holy Jesus, look at the size of that guy. You know, I mean, I was like, oh, I could scare white people to death with him. And Jeter hates that. He he doesn't want to be scary black guy, but but he let me do it a little bit. You know. <laughs> He's like, I don't like that stuff, Jeff. And I'm like, I know, man. Please let me play a little bit. Let me. Make- <laughs> uh, you know, you said you always, you know, you wanted to manage the foreign menace, which you got to in chemo. You wanted to man, you 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 got to you got to manage. You wanted to manage the Abdullah esque monster, which you did in Iceberg. Are there any? Uh, I was thinking about that when we were talking earlier. Are there any other types that you got to manage that you were really? I mean, obviously, Gunnar Miller, I thought, was tailor made for you near the end because he was like the prototype. Because you love football, that's no secret, right? And Gunnar Miller is sort of the the epitome of the blue chipper athlete, you know? Right. And uh, you got to manage him as well. Are there anybody else that you were really glad, like, oh, I got to get, I got to manage this, this guy or this type because you were able to kind of expand yourself as a manager? Do different kind of well, promos. I mean, obviously, getting to manage AJ, of course, looking back on it now, it, it, it's a much bigger deal. But even then, he was our homegrown babyface. I mean, he was Ricky Steamboat. And when they said they were going to turn him, I was actually kind of like, really? Yeah. But we did the turn, and, I mean, he was a great heel, and we had a lot of fun with that. And, I mean, AJ was that classic athlete wrestler. You know, I had a lot of different kinds of wrestlers. You know, I've had the athletes like Jason and AJ and, you know, smaller guys like um, Adam Jacobs and uh, Onyx. Uh, 
of course, you know, big muscle guys, you know, monsters like Justice, who was Abyss. Um, I, I got to manage most types, I think, I would want to. I mean, I never got to do much with women other than, you know, at the end with Miss Rachel, and, and, and we did pretty much everything, you know, as far as, you know, a man and a woman beating the hell out of each other. So uh, I think I pretty much got to do most everything because uh, I had the Hollywood brunette as a tag team mm. at a CWP, and, you know, we always did all the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette spots, you know, running and cutting through the ring and running into each other and all that classic tag team stuff. I mean, I would have probably liked to have had, you know, a longer run with the tag team because that was probably for a few months. And I had, you know, some tag team champions, you know, um, Chemo and Shadow were tag team champions. And I think Azrael and Rain Man were tag team champions. And I, I enjoy tag team wrestling a lot. So I always liked managing a tag team. And I liked when guys you know, like Ray Man and Azrael, who were, you know, one half of Blackout, one half of the Lost Boys, two great tag teams in the building, you know, became a team. And, and they would, you know, mix the spots from both teams in and stuff like that. That was a lot of fun. I, I like tag team wrestling a lot. I think it's a, it's a shame it's kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit. I loved uh, I loved when you were with the Bullets, when they were the collective PCW champion. Um, <laughs> that was a very fun. That was a very fun run, the the fucking whoop there it is shit, um, <laughs> which was a Jeff G. Bailey idea, was it not? It was. I mean, uh, they always play that, you know, like if there's like two minutes left in the game and, and your team takes the lead and, and it, 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 when it's pretty much a sure thing, you're going to win. They would play whoop there it is. And uh, I remember the Panthers' first playoff game where they beat the Troy Aikman. Deion Sanders, Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith led Cowboys in the playoffs. And, you know, it's, it's clear the Panthers are going to win. And it's me, my dad, and my brother. And my brother is a Cowboys fan. And they played that, oh, there it is. And I mean, I jumped, I was sticking my finger in his face, just screaming it. <laughs> oh, there it is. And I just thought, man, there it is. It's such a big fuck you. So after every win, we would play it at the end and jump around the ring like assholes talking when they get tired shit. I mean, it's just a, it's basically a song. It just says, fuck you. There it is. Suck Um, Larry, is there is is there a time, especially in the wild side days, you wanted to ask Jeff about for anarchy? Well, I want to touch on something that we've touched about in previous interviews, but I want to go back to it one more time, uh, which is, and because I, I was hmm. thinking about this during the Hall of Fame thing too, that you never got that shot at a higher level in wrestling. You got to deep south, like the, what they you let you do one promo, and then you, I guess you weren't invited back after that. But like, what what are your real thoughts and feelings about that? Given how gifted you were as a manager. Well, I mean, obviously, I would have liked to have you know done more and and been in the WWE or something like that. And sometimes maybe uh, some of the things I said may have uh, restricted that. Maybe people looked at me as you know insane or just not normal. 
or, or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I thought that uh, the Deep South thing was going to be a big deal, and then Bill and Jody couldn't get along because I was going to, you know, produce their television as well and uh, get that paycheck for that and be, you know, the in-house manager. But that fell apart with Bill and Jody, and I mean, I wasn't going to go back over there for no money and do nothing, and 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 I wasn't really impressed. You know, I was hoping to find me a fucking Leviathan there or something, and uh, mm. there was not one in the bunch, so that didn't work out. And then, of course, I I, I mean, I assumed I was going to work for TNA. I worked there on a first show in uh, Nashville and stuff like that. We had done that trial. Jerry Jarrett and all that that AJ and David got signed off of, but uh, I don't know. I guess uh, you know they just didn't like me enough, and I'm not the most personable, ass kissing type of person that goes around begging for scraps or anything. I mean, I would have liked to have done it, but at the end of the day, I, I look at what I got to do. I got to do the things I wanted to do. I got to create the things I wanted to create. I got to work with some of the greatest talent in the world. And it's funny because, you know, Jimmy, Jim Mitchell got to do the TNA stuff and stuff like that. It's funny because I'm like, man, you got to do that stuff. And he's like, yeah, you got to say whatever you wanted. You know, you got to do your own words. You didn't have to say somebody else's bullshit words. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, are stupid. I mean, you know, it's embarrassing when you have to say somebody else's words and they're stupid and they're not words you would say. I mean, it's, it's very unsatisfying statistically. So I would say he came out of it, you know, more financially satisfied. I came out of it more artistically satisfied, but I got a hell of a lot more money than he does. So, you know, with the whole workout. <laughs> <in the end. laughs> And you know, if Dixie Carter, if if that if those things are true, that Dixie Carter thought that you know Mitchell really worshipped Satan and he was really the gimmick, what in the fuck would she have thought about you? (laughs) (laughs) It's not like I couldn't, you know. I mean, it's not like everything I ever said was crazy or, you know transgressive or anything. I just said a lot of things that were. But I mean, it's not like when I was managing Tom, I said anything controversial or anything. I just talked about what a great athlete he was, what he was going to do, how he was going to do it. You know, it, it was a different, I mean, I always adjusted what I did for who I was with. I didn't just do the same thing with different guys. I had a different take for each person because everybody's different. You're not going to say the same thing about Abyss that you're going to say about AJ. I mean, so you you have to be able to to change and, you know, just be great and able to do lots of different things. I mean, most people are one-note jokes, so... I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there because lately there's been you know there's clearly there are still managers in the Georgia area working, right? But I I mean I can't help but feel like with with you not doing it anymore, Dan not doing it anymore, something is lost. And and here's here's my argument. Um, you worked for everybody that mattered, 
at one point or another. Like Peach State would bring you in to help really get a thing over, right? Southern Fried, when it finally went from being the joke show to being a real show, brought you in. Obviously, you had a great run at PCW. Like the shows that mattered either got you or they wanted to get you. And is there, there's no managers working now that are that much in demand. I mean, honestly, if you expressed an interest, right. If you said, yeah, you know, if the, if the right person came up with the right angle, uh, you know, I could be talked into doing it, you know, again, actively. Um, it had the to big be a promotions, <laughs> right? But the big, <laughs> but my point is, the big promotions would would be would clamor to do it, right? And well, I, I think mean, that's I'm a testament, you know. Do it. I mean, hmm. I'm I'm not saying I'm never going to do it again, um, but again, I would I I wouldn't want to go do something. I mean, I wouldn't go do anything that I wasn't completely sold. And completely believed in, and you know, we we I knew where it was going, what we were going to do. There was a, a a direction, and something mattered. I mean, I don't want to go stand in a rec center and and blah 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 about something for two minutes, and then come back two months later. You know, that's a manager isn't necessary for that. I mean, honestly, without television, managers are not as effective. I mean unless you're running like weekly or something where you can tell that continuous story, or at least bi-weekly where you can, you know, the dots and be the guy that drives the car, that you're just a person at ringside or a person talking. You don't really matter. I mean, I never did anything that, you know, I didn't feel like I was driving the car. Right. You know, I don't, Jeff, how often were you was you like in in Wildside? Was your work um, censored? It's <laughs> um, a great question. <laughs> occasionally, I mean, anything where, where the word God was used, Steve would bleep. He was very sensitive about God. Um, but a lot of that stuff just went right through. People didn't even know what I was talking about sometimes. I mean, wrestling fans <laughs> are idiots. What, you know, stupid as shit, so they're getting out the dictionary to look up words or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking just, about, like, Bill or Steve or Rick saying, no, no, you can't, you, you can't do that. We can't have that. Well, Rick or Steve never said anything, and Bill didn't say anything for a year. And then, which is which? I mean, some of that stuff in that year was was stuff he probably should have came to me and said, "Oh, Jeff, maybe tone that down a little bit." I had to <laughs> apologize for one thing to a TV station, but we're not even going to talk about that. But uh, I did the promo with Iceberg, and we're uh, I gave the address. We're at blah blah blah, Bisky Street Lane, where where little Ruby Jeter's body lay. You know, I picked up, you know, from the pine straw. You still smell the death, the new Atlanta monster iceberg, blah, blah, blah. And Bill did come to me, and he goes, Jeff, can you please not use the real names of dead children? Or maybe just not mention dead children in your promos. And I said, yes, Bill, you're, you're right. I, I won't do that again. I'm sorry. Hmm. <laughs> 
But that's that was pretty much the only time I think he ever came and said, you know, hey, that's too much. I mean, there were a couple other things that were too much, and I mean, I had the promo that apparently got Stevie Dunn in some trouble on their TV station when I sent out a promo that we did in the graveyard with the blood all over the tombstone and talking about the hate club where jock asshole bullies and the lost boys were going to, you know, avenge themselves the Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold way. <laughs> that didn't go over so well. I, I don't know you know, we're laughing. There was the blood all over the tombstone in the graveyard, but it, one of the two they did not like. <laughs> Isn't that part of being like a guy who's trying to make the maximum impact? I mean, are there in an era where the WWE is officially a corporate entity, right? And impact is just barely keeping its head above water, if you could even call it that. Ring of Honor is now tied to a very conservative, I mean, Sinclair Broadcasting, you know, they're as conservative as you get. And so is anybody, is anybody going too far and really reaching anymore? You know, like Combat Zone, which was once the epitome of, you know, that's the weed whacker fed, that's the crazy fed, now they're just, I mean, it's almost a, like a nostalgic thing. When I would think about Combat Zone, it's like, oh, you know, here's the return of, you know, <laughs> these guys that used to be the craziest of the crazy, and now their presence gets this sort of, like, elder statesman response almost. Um, is there anybody still striving? Isn't that, is that one of the things that wrestling needs, is people really pushing an envelope? I don't know what envelopes are being pushed except for physically in the ring. I mean, you know, athleticism wise, there's still guys doing stuff that just makes, I mean, just makes my jaw drop, but I don't know if anything's being pushed in any other way. Do do either one of you, can either one of you think of anything? Well, I think that's, you know, Nowadays, wrestling is, is run through Twitter. And if somebody complains about something somebody said or something somebody did, we have to discipline that wrestler. We have to, to take him off shows and we can't use him anymore because he did something in his personal life that 10 fans posted on Twitter about and didn't like. So now we, I mean, when the fuck did catering to fucking the minority of assholes become how you booked or promoted wrestling. I mean, it's mm. embarrassing. It's one of the reasons why I have no interest in it because there is nobody trying to be more than just generic wrestling show. Hey, let's get this guy and let's get this guy. They're both good and they're going to wrestle each other and it's going to be good. You know, who gives a shit? What, did he call his mother a whore? I mean, why are they fighting? You know, that's, <laughs> that's wrestling. Not two guys exchanging holes rolling around the ring. I mean, I want there to be a reason for the two guys to be fighting each other. That's what wrestling is. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing wrestling. You're doing this modern thing that is for the Twitter audience and the social justice warriors of the world. Don't say anything offensive. Uh, That's called heat. Oh, no. That triggers me. I mean, it's, it's a it's pussy. 
wrestling is now pussy. Well, I, you know, I was like to put, of course, I'm partial to PCW, but, you know, I felt like we had taken PCW up to a certain point in like 2011. We had done, we, I, I, in my opinion, we were doing the best and craziest stuff, but nobody was paying attention to us, right? I think the Dwight Power stuff was way better than what anybody else was doing. You know, where it was just like, God, he was going after, like, the mentally handicapped and, like, destroying them in a ring. And, you know, going after women and going after minorities and cutting these, like, incredible promos. But, again, nobody except for the 50 people sitting there was seeing it. And then so when I came up with the concept of, all right, like the only heel that exists, I mean, that to me, that was the only heel that could exist was Dwight power in the modern age, you know, so it had to be somebody that everybody could go that we can all hate a white supremacist. That's pretty safe. Right. Um, but right. beyond that, but I'm like, but ultimately he was a 140 pound dude, right? He could just couldn't be scary enough just right. on his own and it never worked when we tried to we called them the violent the the violent majority was the group that i i wish could have stuck together longer because it was a great idea but it just didn't happen and then so when i came up it's like what's the only thing that can make you a heel in pcw and i and i thought to myself disloyalty to pcw because we did have a very like active sort of smart marky base but they loved pcw so i thought well we got to take pcw away that's like that's what we have to do we have to create a, a heel an invasion group out of whole cloth and i went to danny only and i and and other guys who were from anarchy you know seth delay and i just went well i i asked jay fury i said jay we need a catalyst for this thing. Who's the best talker? Don't, don't tell me like who, who's probable to get or who we can get, or I don't want, I like, this is brainstorming. I just, I want the best. And to a man, everybody said, it's Jeff G. Bailey. He's the best. But every one of them in the next sentence said he would never work here. Like, <laughs> he'll never work here. He's the best. So that's the answer to your question, dumb shit, was kind of their attitude. But he would never work here. This is the epitome of everything he hates. And him and Bill do nothing but talk shit about your show. And then other guys like Nemesis would say stuff like, if Jeff gets here, he'll take over the show. You know, that, that kind of wrestling conspiracy horse shit, right, that only the boys can do. Um, but I, th at that point, I was like, I didn't care about anything except Jeff is the best. And so then I watched promos and I went, Jeff is the best. How do I get him here? Because, you know, in my own mind, I thought I was great. Right. And I never had anybody to play off of on a microphone. You know, the managers that, that we had were all serviceable, but none of them, I couldn't, I couldn't, they, they couldn't be my antagonist. I just didn't, I was just like, I would destroy them on a mic. I would have to pull myself back in order to make the thing work. And I didn't want to do that. And so I did whatever I had to do to get Jeff. And I mean, the rest is history. I, I think Jeff's run in PCW worked out better than I could have ever imagined. Uh, to the point where I didn't have to, 
I didn't physically touch Jeff but one time, and that was at the end of Sacred Ground 3. And at any other time, I mean, that's that's nine or ten months of me basically getting stuck to me by Jeff. <laughs> and, the, the, and, and the fact that they hung in and celebrated that moment, it's still my favorite picture of myself is me covered in sweat, having thrown the green jacket into the audience and just like – exalting in the moment of I just hit Jeff with the PCW title at last, you know, um, again, I want it. Who's the best? It's Jeff and Jeff. uh, I mean, to his credit, listened to the offer and I'm glad he took me up on it because I don't know what PCW would have done without Jeff. I mean, that's just being blunt and honest just as, can you imagine Wildsider Anarchy without Jeff? N- no. And I, I can't imagine what PCW would have been. Not that the wrestlers didn't end up becoming great in their own right. Of course they did. But fuck, man. You need, it's, Skandar Akbar is not one of my favorites, but he said one of the most brilliant things, which is this is, slang, this is dragons and dragon slaying. That's what wrestling is. And if you don't have a dragon, it doesn't matter. And Jeff was the best dragon that PCW ever had. So, yeah, that was very generous. I, mean, I had a lot of fun there. You know, it's really funny because Danny came and he, he, he explained the situation and, and tried to sell me on it. And then he said, I'll tell you what, man, if you do it, I'll come pick you up and take you to the show. Said, oh, you'll come pick me up and drive me down there. He said, yes. I said, oh, okay. How, how can I turn that down? I don't even have yeah. to drive. <laughs> so, and this is this is a really funny story because I don't know what I'm going there to do. So I get there, and I've never gone in a dressing room where I felt like instantly like, man, all these people really hate me. Like, like what the <laughs> hell is going on? Because Steve did not, I mean, Steve had three managers that were in charge of this empire thing that was happening. And he apparently didn't tell any of them that he was bringing me in to be above <laughs> them. So they no. were all violently angry. And I, mean, I wanted like, genuine like, reactions. Really yeah. And I'm, so I'm like, well, what's the spot? You know, and Steve's like, okay, it's going to be at the end of the thing, and, and, and you'll come out and talk. And I said, well, what am I talking about? He goes, you're the leader of the empire. I said, okay, but what am I talking about? He goes, you're the leader of the empire. Go <laughs> And I was like, well, okay. So I went out there and did, you know, the whole anti-BCW thing, and the empire was taking over to bring real pro wrestling and not this nonsense that Stephen Platinum was responsible for, and and we were off and running. And mm. I mean, that was a almost a full year up to sacred ground before we switched the title and had that great match with Mason and Shane Watts. And Mason got that split his head open on that bench. You know, bled oh, out. It was beautiful. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, that, you know, people can say what they want, but, but blood makes a match better. I mean, it just is such a big part of wrestling, and I just would hate to see it ever go away. You know, that's why I enjoy watching the UFC, because, you know, those guys can be bleeding to death, and they'll be standing in the middle, two guys just pounding the hell out of each other. And Man, who doesn't enjoy that? That's what wrestling 
wants to recapture, I would hope, but it doesn't seem like it. You know, it blood to carry on in a few places. You know, like I don't know if you watch MLW, but um, they do a lot of blood in MLW, um, unlike any any of the other more major independent groups. And you know, Anarchy's still doing a lot of blood. Good. I mean, you know, if you're going to put up a cage, somebody should probably bleed. Well, they sure do. Yeah, they have blood all the time or anything, but I mean, there are situations in wrestling that call for blood, and when it doesn't have it, I think people are disappointed. I mean, if you pay your money to see a cage match and nobody bleeds, I just can't help but feel like people would feel cheated. I would. I would feel cheated. I think that's one of the Jeff G. Bailey legacies of not just at Anarchy, but at PCW and other places that you work. There, there got to be this reputation of if you get a trickler in front of Jeff, you're disgraced. And I, I mean, that's real. I, I remember in particular, uh, I, I mean, we, we did color at PCW on semi-rare occasions, but when we did it, it was always like maximum dramatic effect, right? It's me and Jay bleeding. At eleven, 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 it's you know Rachel and Jeff bleeding in the War Games cage, and um, but I remember Quasi Mendisco, like he was just like I mean he was petrified. He's like I gotta bleed in front of Jeff, like he was just like, and, and I mean he just kept saying I'm not gonna let you down. I'm not gonna let Jeff down. He's like I'm gonna go up there. I'm gonna fucking get color. And PC and PCW that became a rallying cry. It's like don't embarrass yourself in front of Jeff. Like you know because like it would validate everything that he ever thought about PCW if we just if we didn't get good color. And uh, I, I remember Quasi got a gusher. I was just I couldn't. I yeah, mean for yeah. a first time guy, I was like. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and Johnny Danger, to his credit, whenever he wanted to get colored. Oh, Jesus gosh. Christ. You know? <laughs> so that's, the, that's part of Jeff's, Jeff's legacy. Jeff, here's a question. Um, what, do you, what else do you consider your legacy to be that maybe we're not thinking of or people don't think of outright? You know, what's, what's a legacy that you have in the, the landmark arena locker rooms or just in, in Georgia wrestling in general? Well, I mean, um, after Andrew left for TNA, I took over producing the television. And, I mean, mm. I, we wanted our TV to be exciting. The only other, I mean, we were on the America One Network, and I think um, XPW had, had gotten on there. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're all in this block of wrestling. And I wanted our show to stand out above all that stuff. So we would go do the promo at the Wayne Williams Bridge or in a shack in the woods or, you know, the graveyard or or places that, you know, had this atmosphere that made seem things bigger and exciting and stuff like that. So I I, I would like that to be known that, you know, uh, I, I had a lot to do with producing those great vignettes that uh, all aired on Wildside TV, you know, some of the lost boys. And, I mean, we nearly lit this shack on fire. We had this big pentagram board <laughs> in the shack that, that you couldn't get into a door. You had to climb up a ladder through a window. And we went in there with gasoline to pour it all over the board to light the fire. <laughs> and, and all we had is a, you know, a gallon jug of water. That's our, 
plan. Oh, we got the gallon jug of water we're going to put out. <laughs> well, they lost that board and the flames all the way to the field. I mean, the camera completely wipes out. That's the end of the promo when the, when the flames go up because it just wipes out the camera immediately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we could have easily caught that damn tinderbox shack on fire and all burned to death in there because the only way out was down a ladder out a window. So we weren't going to be getting out quickly. So that was one of the more really stupid things we did. I mean, <laughs> obviously, you know, lighting the tombstone in the cemetery on fire and stuff like that. I mean, it's three in the morning. We're in the middle of a graveyard to film promos on tombstones. So we set one on fire while Jimmy's roused up there, you know, the introduction of him and all that. So we did some stuff that it's insane to think about now. But at the time, it was like, we just have to have something different for the TV show. It has to stand out. It has to be more than just guys having matches. And we were fortunate. We had some other good talkers, and, you know, I usually talked on every episode. And, you know, I just really wanted our show to, to stand out because, you know, this was the opportunity to me, you know, wrestling and television, that's that's what wrestling is, and that's how you tell your stories, and we had the opportunity to do that. So uh, we wanted to make the most of it, and uh, did. Um, Lex, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people like to do impersonations of me. Um, that seems yeah. to be a legacy. Everybody seems to, to have a Jeff G. Bailey impersonation or, you know, the thing about everybody being yelled at at me once is, is probably true. I probably yelled at <laughs> everybody at least once about something. Um, I just wanted everything to be great, not just myself. I knew I was great. I wanted the show to be great. I wanted the matches to be great. I wanted the commentary to be great. I wanted the referees to be great. You know, I didn't want to just win manager of the year. I wanted the promotions that I was featured in to win promotion of the year. I wanted the guy I was managing to win wrestler of the year. You know, I wanted to be the best at everything. You know, fuck second best. Hmm. Larry, do you have I a mean, you you were there for everything up until you know what the last year? Do you have a favorite era of Landmark Arena stuff? Oh God, I got multiple favorites. I mean, it's I I, I got to do so many good things. I, I'm I'm never going to narrow it down to one thing. I mean, I had I mean I'd say Crush and AJ. And uh, Iceberg, you know, Azrael and Rain Man as a tag team, uh, Shatter and Chemo. I mean, we didn't really talk about Chemo, and I mean, he was my foreign menace that basically we created out of whole cloth. And I mean, I feel like we did, you know, some 1970s foreign menace heel stuff. It was it was really great, and really fun, and Chemo was really great at it, and. Uh, he really put a whipping on some guys, and there was a lot of guys who really, you know, uh, put a lot in to, to, to get him over. So, yeah, that was a that was that was a great run. And I mean, I, there's not much that I didn't enjoy. I mean, because if I didn't like something, I, I expressed my dislike of it, you know, and tried to get it changed. Like I don't know, Bill. I think this sucks. 
And, you know, we'd either change it or he'd convince me that it didn't. He was good at that. Murder One called it the Jedi mind trick. Don't fall for the Jedi mind trick. It makes you think this shit's good when it ain't. <laughs> you know, I, excuse me, I wrote in my report that, that noted that there was still chance for Gunnar Miller as Logan Creed came out, you know, a year later from his, I believe, yeah. his last appearance when he lost the title. Do you think we'll see Gunnar Miller back in wrestling? I do. Mm. I do. I mean, Gunnar is capable of being successful in anything he wants to do. I mean, yeah. that's just a guy who's got it together. And he's, he's a winner. Be fine. Yeah, he's, he's a, a winner. winner. And, uh, you know, if he chooses to come back and do wrestling, which I think he will, I think he's he's got a little desire to do it. I think he, he probably misses the physical aspect of it. And just, you know, being a god, you know, he was the guy. There's, there's, there's no doubt about it. He was the guy, and uh, he had me to talk for him. So, you know, boom. What more could you ask for? Not much. Money. Box office gold. He'll be back. Uh, Larry, I had a question. So this year it was Jeff, it was Dan, it was Tank, and it was Iceberg, and then Bill as the surprise in the Hall of Fame. Now, they did it last year, where Jeff and I were trying to remember. So, obviously, Steve and Rick went in, and it wasn't well attended, if I, rem- if I recall, right? Was there anybody else besides, do you know, besides uh, Steve and Rick who were in the Hall of Fame last year? Uh, I would have to look it up because I did not attend that first Hall of Fame um, induction thing. That's what I remember is Steve and Rick. Okay interesting i mean it's it, you know we're we're reaching the clearly the end of that era right uh i, I mean you you had to look around that locker room at uh hardcore hell and think i, I mean there were there's, there's definitely standout guys there i mean of course you, anytime you have like a logan creed there and you know strict nine and the guys who've who've become big stars and made themselves big stars but you probably looked around that locker room and went there were a lot of guys there that were like I don't even know who this is or, you know, that had to be kind of a strange feeling for you since you were such a uh, undeniable presence in that building for a couple of decades. That had to be a, kind of a strange feeling to look around. I mean, for Tank and Iceberg oh, as well, I would imagine. It, it absolutely was. I mean, you know, but the wheel rolls on with or without you. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the guys in the locker room are there to put together their matches and get ready to do all that stuff. And, I mean, I wasn't going to sit around and hang out in there. I mean, if I'm in a locker room, I'm there to work. I'm not there to hang out. So we didn't stay for the show or anything like that, you know, because that's not our place anymore, you know, that locker room. I'm, I'm retired. I'm never going to work in that building again. I'm in the Hall of Fame. It's, it's the doors closed on that era of anything I do in wrestling, if I do anything after this, you know, it won't be there. It'll be somewhere else. And, you know, that chapter's closed and and I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm the greatest of all time in that building. I mean, so what, what, what's left, you know, Yeah. nobody's ever going to come along 
and do anything better than I did. I mean, you look at that promo of the African-American Superman. It was on the first episode of Wildside. It will be 20 years old in August of this year, and I've never heard anybody other than me cut a better promo than that in this state. Mm. I can't disagree. Uh, Back to the um, Hall of Fame question. The first class yeah. was David Young inducted by Bill Behrens, Steve Martin inducted by Rick Michaels, and Asriel inducted by Dan. Okay. Oh. So oh, yeah. Rick David is not Young. Yet is that, in. That's when David was doing that great run with um, Anthony Henry, right? Oh, he had some doing great that. matches there in the early mm-hmm. in the early years. He was he had some tremendous right, right. matches. Oh, absolutely. But, I, you know, like when David had that brief thing where, like, his daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah, more recently. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Something interesting. Well, Larry, any any last thoughts about Jeff? Well, he said one of my last thoughts was, is we'll never see another one like him. In that building, we'll never see one as good in that building. And uh, hearing those promos... And hearing you say some of those phrases again during your induction brought a whole lot of memories back for me. Very good, you know, wonderful memories, and I thank you for that. Because um, it was the, the combination of the words and the delivery um, were something else. Well, I thank you for all the, the good things you wrote about me and the shows over the years. And, you know, I think that uh, your report basically helped introduce a lot of people to Wildside and they went out of their way to track it down through uh, videotape or DVD. Um, have I got time to tell one more story? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's your night. Um, this was this was early on, and I think this kind of signifies the, the early relationship I had with, with Rick and Steve and Bill and everybody, because everything was so confrontational, because Rick and Steve were battling with Bill, and I was kind of just, you know, floating in between. I just wanted to do great wrestling. So uh, I would, of course, obviously get copies of the shows and stuff, and um, I was doing a lot of eBay stuff in those days before they were cracking down on copyright stuff, you know, moving tons of wrestling videotapes. I was making thousands of dollars a year moving wrestling videotapes on there. So, of course, I put the wild side stuff on there because I wanted people to see it. It wasn't so much about making the money, but I wanted people to see it. Well, I guess somebody dropped dime or whatever to Rick and Steve. And, uh, <laughs> you know, after the show one night, you know, they confronted me in the parking lot. And they'd, they printed out some of the, you know, eBay pages and stuff. And they were like, I see you're, you're selling these tapes on here and stuff. And, and you know, you can't do that. You know, just basically, you know, complaining about it and stuff. And I just said, am I on the tape? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, am I on the tape? And they're like, well, yeah. I said, well, I'll do whatever the fuck I want with it because I'm on it. <laughs> so, you know, we argued back and forth about that. And they called Bill. Bill, Bill, tell him. You know, shit. If I'm on it, I'm going to do whatever I want to do with it. And then they're like, oh, well, but. Now we're doing television, so uh, you know wrestling. You know you don't get paid for television. And I was like, "Fuck you! You're gonna pay me." You know, and then <laughs> everything got all heated and shit. It was like, "Jeff, you'll get your money. Just, just go ahead and go home." You know, and, and I just left, and we 
left it at that. Nothing was ever said about it again. And that was what our relationship was like. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Tell me what you fucking do. I know better. Well, I mean, I it's do. that. It's the. I mean, it's that bruiser Brody spirit. You know, um, that's definitely something we don't have anymore now. In some ways, it's nice that things seem to be more cooperative. But I'm, I, I am of the mind. You know, the the cliche is competition is good. I don't, I don't, I think competition is just symptomatic of something else that's actually good, which is conflict. I think art lives in conflict. I think, you know, yes, you want a team pulling in the same direction on a wrestling show. But there should be tension there. The guys at the mid-card should be desiring the main event, you know? Um, the managers should feel sort of competitive with each other. I don't think – I don't think – I think it's safe to say that uh, one of the things I think that doesn't get talked about enough with Jeff's legacy is it, it, it's, you know – where would Stone Cold have been legacy-wise without The Rock? It's you, you got two once-in-a-lifetime performers that were there at the same time and competed against each other in three WrestleMania main events, amongst other things, right? They always had each other to bounce off of. And Jeff had very few equals, but the ones that he did have, he got to work against. I mean, you know... Elite versus Devil's Rejects. Like he got to have, he got to have true feuds with people who at least were booked to be his equal, and that enabled to bring out the best of him and the best of the people that he worked with. He's made guys, he's created guys, he's put guys over. Um, I, I mean, all that stuff that you're supposed to do and other managers who are listening to this and most of them, if not all of them do, that's your challenge. It isn't just, can I cut a promo as good as Jeff G. Bailey? Can I be as big a deal in my federation as Jeff was in his? It's who are you making? Who are you creating? What angles are you making legendary? And how many people are you responsible for walking in the door, buying a ticket and sitting down and watching? That's the legacy. Um, and that's a, that's a tall task. I don't know if anybody's up for that, honestly. You know, I guess it reminds me of one other thing, a characteristic of you, Jeff, is that you always you, you expected the best of yourself and you expected the the best of the people around you and you didn't you did it did not sit well with you when you did not get those things and see those things oh that yes i mean like i yelled at people when i didn't think that they were doing what they should do or or be as great as they should be i mean yeah it's why you know do it if you're not trying to be the best i mean i never wanted to be seen as anything less than the best it was mm -hmm. you know the, it drove me in anything that i did you know i, I wanted to be the best at it but particularly wrestling because it had been my childhood dream and it took you know a very long time to get in you know i i would have loved to have started when i was you know in my 20s but i was you know already 30 before i ever got to do my first show so it was a. Uh, it's a long, hard wait, and uh, 
I just wanted it to be great, and I wanted my stuff to be different from everybody else's. I didn't want somebody to say, oh, he's like so-and-so, or or he's like this guy, or he's ripping off this guy. You know, I wanted my stuff to be its own original thing that, you know, that people go, oh, that's that's a Jeff King Bailey promo. Not, oh, he's trying to be Bobby Heenan or, or whatever, you know, because I wasn't. I, di- I didn't want to be any of those guys who were the funny ha-ha guys. I wanted to be, you know, more like Gary Hart, you know, serious, menacing, you know, I want to see you get hurt kind of guy. Yes. Larry, you know, we got we to gotta, um, wind this up, unfortunately. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And um, I'd like to thank Rick for inducting me into the Hall of Fame to uh, finish this thing up and close the door on all that. And on to the next thing. Yes. Larry, did you want to tell Jeff anything? Oh, hint, hint, hint. Yeah. Yeah, uh, We at uh, GWH decided the only right thing to do was to name the Manager of the Year Award after you. So it shall be heretofore known as the Jeff G. Bailey Manager of the Year Award. Wow, maybe the next dick that wins it will actually thank me. And understand that he wouldn't be winning it or being 100 miles of it if I was still doing it. But yeah, cool. Very cool. A more fitting parting of thought could not exist. No. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff, for being on. I, you know, we had, we had talked about it. It's no secret Jeff and I are friends. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about bringing him on for a long time. But it just never seemed like the right time. But with you going into the Hall of Fame, it just seemed like it was a, a very fitting time to sort of give you a forum to, you know, maybe talk about some things that you didn't get a chance to talk about in your speech, which I heard was amazing. I hope that those, I, I hope that those were recorded and go up sometime so people can see them from not just you, but Dan and uh, tank and iceberg as well. Um, yeah. I would love to see Dan's and tanks. Cause you know, I was in the back and I could barely hear it. So I'd love to hear what they said. And I'd really like to see what I said. Cause I really don't remember. <laughs> they were all really good, and now, yeah, and they were all recorded, of course. So hopefully, they'll turn up at some point. <clears throat> well, thanks for being on, Jeff. And um, you know, you you've begun writing a lot. I, I think anybody who, uh, if you're not following Jeff on Twitter or on Facebook, you need to because I, I'm I, I'm just personally thrilled that Jeff's begun writing. You know, about his ten favorite. Um, albums and and all those stories and you know there's there's a lot of uh you know there's a lot of jeff g bailey in what you do um in a good way and i think people would do themselves a service by reading the writing that you're you're inspired to do right now it's a lot of fun um to see you communicating in a very different medium and the thing that you wrote to iceberg i thought was very uh very fitting and awesome as well so there's still a lot to look forward to uh, with Jeff G. Bailey, and maybe somebody will uh, will just basically make you an offer you can't refuse, and uh, get you, and they they need you 
um, get you on a microphone in a wrestling ring at some point. That will be also, that'll be big news and fascinating to see if anybody can manage to pull off that feat. But thanks for being on, man. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, pro wrestling is a never-say-never business, so we will see what transpires as the years go by. Mm. Yes. Thanks, guys. Well, take care. Absolutely. For, for Jeff G. Bailey, uh, I'm Stephen oh, oh, Platinum. One, and, one, yes. one thing before oh, you go, please. putting out – Putting yes. out the call for uh, res- wrestling reporters this weekend. I'm going to be in Chicago. If I'm lucky, I'll get to see the freelance show with um, Nick Gage, Ethan Page, Kylie Ray, Anthony Henry, J.D. Drake. But I will not be doing any reports. And I don't know if Rob's going to be available this weekend either. So if anybody is going to Southern Fried wants to send one in, please do. Or any of the other shows this weekend. Right on. Well, we will be back in two weeks uh, with another episode of The Tipping Point, and I am going to try to put out either late tonight, but most likely tomorrow, another uh, full disclosure news and commentary. And you're not going to want to miss this one. I've got a couple of really, <laughs> really great things planned that I think are going to get people talking. But once again, you know, take out, check out GWH News and Notes. Uh, blogspot.com and thank you for listening and we'll see you in another two weeks Big Point We thank you for listening to this broadcast a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more As always, we thank you for your continued support.
Uh, hi, Josie. It's Larry Goodman. How are you? No, I went back. 